video I was preaching, so uh, it was such a good video, such a blessing. I was there with them last weekend, and I was preaching in the church there, and uh, it was just a real blessing. What a great weekend, uh, serving the Lord there in Mexico and really seeing, as, as Rachel said, Isaiah 61. Um, let's, uh, let's start off with a word of prayer, okay? Lord Jesus, we come to you, we just sang to you, and um, we're just so distracted. There's so many things going on in our life, so many things going on around here, around the area, at our jobs and our relationships. So we need you, Lord, if we're going to focus in and hear from your word. And Lord, if you want me to speak your word, it's, it's, we're going to need the spirit to be strong in me, like, like we just sang. Um, and so we ask for that, Lord. We ask for our weakness, uh, that you would give us strength and you'd help us to understand your word and love you more know you more, uh, and take a step closer to you today. Jesus, reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, um, <clears throat> my name is Dale. Those of you who don't know me, I, I'm uh, Nate's father-in-law, one of the pastors here at City Light. I'm down at the D.C. campus most of the time and um, enjoying uh, serving there. Uh, when, I, when he asked me to speak, uh, there was a couple reasons. One was, um, I'm afraid the topic uh, I noticed that the topic is sin this week, and he asked me. He didn't ask me on the week that he was teaching, say, on holiness or on goodness. or God, He got me for sin. And I, and I did, I told Rachel right before the service, I'm qualified. This I know. I, I, I'm good at this. So uh, let me, we're going to talk about sin. The other thing that's going on is he's uh, teaching this week. He and Kristen, my daughter, are down in um, Appalachia this week teaching a group of uh, young people all week, and they brought the kids with them, and so really prayer for their safety. I don't mean safety on the road. I don't mean safety from the people. I mean my daughter's safety from those six kids that she's raising. There's Anything could happen. Anything. Have you met them? Anything can happen, I'm telling you, so uh, that she doesn't get tied to the chair or taken over. All right. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles to Mark chapter 6, uh, 6 through 8. We are in chapter 3 in this book here, and we'd hope that you could use this book yourself and then also maybe take an extra one and hand it to somebody this week uh, who could go through this. And I did it this week with somebody who's you know, open to Christianity, and, and this, this was a great resource to give somebody. Um, so we're talking about uh, the real Jesus, uh, the identity of Jesus, and uh, Nate has spent the last several weeks talking through the different pictures we have of Jesus that are inaccurate. Uh, for me, I was a D.C. police officer for my career, and I worked most of that time in undercover capacity, so I spent years hiding my real identity. I was also very confused because I was working in two worlds. I was a youth pastor at a church, same time as I was working undercover. So sometimes I would be buying drugs and someone from the church would call me and then sometimes I would be talking to somebody at church and somebody would call uh, to try to sell me drugs. So it was a very confusing life, you know? My identity, my weird life. So I was doing this, they were very different and if you went over to the church and you said, who do you think Dale is? You'd hear one thing. And if you went over to the D.C. jail and you would have said, who do you think Dale is? You would have heard a different thing. Right? Two different identities. We know this feeling. Well, Jesus is presented this way. Here's the thing. Either place I was the same person. Either place I was the same person. It was just two different places, and yet we got two different responses. In the same way with Jesus, we're going to open to two different environments that Jesus taught in, uh, and, 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 and where 
uh, they saw him very different. Now, if you look at Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 30, this is, I believe, the center of the book. So the book of Mark is divided right here in chapter 8 and 27 through 30, where Peter makes this statement in line with what we're teaching, uh, verses 27 through 30. Let me read it to you. And I've got the NIV here. I'm reading from. You're going to see it in the ESV. Um, and uh, I just am sorry that uh, I can't read it to you uh, directly from the Greek language, just what it's written in. So we'll start and we'll use our two English translations and hopefully the Spirit will speak to you and give you real clarity here. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Now they're just walking along a road. Peter answered him, you are the Christ, the anointed one, Messiah. This was a massive statement that we don't appreciate enough today. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Now that's the Lord Jesus telling him, keep this a secret, Peter. Isn't that strange? We spent... Our whole lives as Christians or churches, we're telling you all the time, tell more people about it. We got this book. I just did it. And yet Jesus, when he was here on earth, said, tell no one about me. That's strange, huh? Very hard to understand. Well, this is why the Bible is worth studying. Because at first read, it is often confusing. And well, it should be. Let's be honest. It was written in a different language. It's written in a different history written different culture, and written in a different geography. Those four things are four hurdles every time you open your Bible. So I encourage you, you need a study Bible. Read maybe less of a section so you can really understand and find out what the heck is going on here. In this case, in this case, what was going on was Jesus was starting out his public ministry. And during his public ministry, at two and a half years, he was going to stay in the same general area within uh, Israel there, between Judah and up in Galilee, um, he did some travel in other places, and for about two and a half years, it was a public ministry. So at the start, if he'd have come on um, with the amount of uh, attention he got towards the end of his ministry, they would have moved to crucify him early, and he wouldn't have been able to complete the public side of his ministry. The other thing that would have happened was the crowds just got so big, as you can tell reading through the book of Mark, that he just couldn't go anywhere or move anywhere or really get into the other villages he needed to get to with the message if the whole world knew all about him, you see? So it was a very different thing. Well, we're going to visit two different places where Jesus was, and we're going to open to his own hometown here in Mark chapter 6, the town of Nazareth. Now, where he grew up in Nazareth was just uh, a little peasant community. F about 400 people lived there, uh, dirt floors, uh, hardworking people lived there. Um, Jesus lived there all the way to the age of 30. Imagine in a small community like that, people knew him. They'd been around him quite a bit. And uh, we see now, this is his third visit to Nazareth. Jesus loved the people of his little town and he wanted to bring them the truth that he was the anointed one. He was the Christ. They had already seen, been around him. They were all um, very, uh, very far from, from the Lord in this little community. We know this because he's gone there three times. This is the third trip. On the last trip, they tried to kill him. They actually mobbed up together and tried to push him off a cliff, and Jesus escaped. 
Yet he went back again because Jesus says he would, I wouldn't, he would go back there because of his deep, deep love for those in Nazareth. So he goes back, and here's where we open in chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. So he had a crowd of disciples, those who were listening to him, those who traveled with him. Some were women, some were men, some helped cook, some helped uh, uh, with the finances, some uh, uh, just traveled. Everybody wanted to be around him. And they committed themselves to this, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. The synagogue was just like the uh, community center, the place where he would, where this is the same synagogue where Jesus would have learned as a child how to read, how to, um, how to, uh, 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 get education. All those things would have happened in the same place. It's also the same place where he revealed his uh, messiahship a few uh, times earlier in his first trip there. He began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Now, this is one of those times where the English translation doesn't do it justice. Uh, Any of you that are bilingual, you can appreciate how it is to sometimes translate a Spanish word or or a Greek word or a Russian word or English word over to another language. Some things just don't cross very well. One of the examples I use a lot is ganar in Spanish, G-A-N-A-R, ganar. Now, it really means to earn or to win. Um, For uh, us to try to explain it properly, though, I might say that I would preach con ganas. You'd say you'd preach to win, to earn. with. No, it really means with passion. Why does it mean all those things? I don't know, but I can tell you, you have to speak the language to get the full understanding. You see what I mean? So if I'm just translating it, I might translate it this way. And sometimes it just doesn't give you the sense of what it means. So this is one of those times. Amazed. Amazed. It just doesn't give you the full understanding. Literally what this meant was they were beside themselves. They were astonished to the point of losing control of themselves. That's what it's like to hear Jesus preach. It was... They were out of themselves. And they asked, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's doing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? By the way, one of the things we believe is that Joseph, his father, had died when he was quite young. And uh, that's one of the reasons we believe this, because they refer to him as Mary's son, as Mary's son. Um, And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and aren't his sisters still here? He still had sisters living in Nazareth, probably married to Nazarite men. And they took, here's their reaction, they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except they lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed, also him using the word, at their lack of faith. Now, one thing I want you to understand here is he didn't do any miracles there. It was not not because um, that he only did miracles when people mustered enough faith for miracles. That isn't true. All through Jesus' ministry, he healed people that had no faith. He healed them evangelistically. He healed them without them committing to him. He healed and healed and healed. John MacArthur says that he healed so many that he about eradicated illness during his two and a half years of public ministry. That's how many people he was healing. 
He was healing all the time. People were touching his. We have that one story of the woman who, who grabbed just the, the tassel on his prayer shawl he would wear around, and she was healed. But, but that happened all the time. It happens here in Mark where it says people would just want to touch his garment, and they would be healed. Oh, Jesus was something. Jesus was, oh boy, he just changed, turned upside down the world, and yet we have different Opportunities to see him, and they saw him as a peasant carpenter, and they refused to see him as Christ, the anointed one. And so they took offense at him. That was their reaction. Now let's go to Mark chapter 6, same chapter, towards the end of the book, towards the end of the chapter. And by the way, such a wonderful, my favorite book in the Bible is the book of Mark. It reads fast, it's exciting, um, it's moving all the time. And so we're at verse 45, now a different setting, different group of people. Let's see how they interpreted and saw Jesus, okay? Immediately, chapter 6, verse 45 to 52, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, well, he dismissed the crowd. Why was this? Well, Jesus was mobbed all the time towards the public phase of his ministry. At this point, was there. He had already healed so many that everybody, who wouldn't want to be near someone like this? Even now in, a, in, in our culture, if a famous celebrity comes somewhere, we just want to be near him and people gather around and, you know, they can't even hardly move. So you can imagine if a person could heal you physically, spiritually, Save your child from death. I mean, you'd want to be around this guy. So Jesus, needless to say, had to dismiss the crowd. He got his guys in a boat, said, go across the, the lake here. And after leaving them in the boat, he got the crowd dismissed. And he went up on a mountainside to pray. A mountainside where he could see the Sea of Galilee. And he would pray up there. And as he was praying and seeking his father, this went on all night long. And about 3 a.m. later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. And he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but there are many days in this life I'm straining at the oars. You know what I mean? The wind was against them. You know this feeling? Do you ever feel like the wind is against you? You're straining. You're trying to maybe even live for Christ or you're straining to be the best parent you could or straining to be the best person you can or whatever and you're straining at the oars you feel that this is what was going on with these guys except it was in an actual storm shortly before dawn he went out to them walking on the lake now it's interesting he was walking on the lake putting pressure on it like it was cement this was jesus christ made no difference lake water land sea uh sky we learn walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walk on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And so they cried out. And here, again, the, the way to fill this out a little bit, they cried out. It meant they shrieked. They screamed. That's how scared they were when they saw him. Because they all saw him and were terrified. One of the things I learned as a police officer is we don't want policemen that do a lot of shrieking. You don't want uh, to have a burglary, uh, have a, somebody check the house, officer, and then he goes in and, uh, or, or she, and then they, you hear them scream at the top of their lungs, and they come running out of the house. You, you don't want to see that. That's not good. We had this one uh, situation. We were making an arrest, and another guy on the arrest team, we were over in a parking lot arresting. We were in this motel parking lot, and he was trying to arrest the other guy. He was having trouble. He was wrestling with the guy. And while we're getting these guys arrested, we look over, and what he was trying to do was say, um, 
he was trying to say, hey, I need some help over here. But you know how sometimes when you get excited, your voice an octave changes, you know? And so the way it came out was, ah! Well, the good news is we had this on video. So the entire rest of his career, uh, we would play that thing again and again. Matter of fact, today I'm going to tell him, uh, remind him of that great moment. It was just a wonderful time for us. Okay, so they shrieked and they saw him and they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and he said, take courage, Jesus said. It is I. Don't be afraid. He said, it is I and nobody else. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, again, our word, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They had been oblivious and indifferent to seeing the amazing works that Jesus had done already in front of them. Maybe you and I are there as well with the disciples. We have seen Jesus do. We hear what Jesus does. We've seen him do a little bit in our lives, and yet we're oblivious and kind of indifferent to his amazing works. We don't even know if we should pray to him about everything because we're so sure of this. Sin is what is the barrier with us. Here's the picture. Here's Jesus praying up on a mountainside. He sends disciples across the lake. Now, as you see the water get troubled here, one of the things you'll see if you read the Bible at all, anywhere from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see the way that God uses a metaphor of troubled water to uh, explain to human beings his power, his peace, as he brings peaceful waters. So uh, this is a metaphor that you and I can picture. Uh, we're human beings. We deserve. We are normal on land. So when the water gets uh, choppy, the water gets overwhelming. We can get scared very easily. And so there's this picture where we have the even the uh, calm river in in the in the in heaven. This is a picture of God's peace and God's kindness. And so we have several of these pictures through the stories of Jesus. They're real stories, but it's metaf- it's a metaphor to help us see deeper. This is what Jesus does for our troubled lives and our troubled water. So going, Jesus here brings the calming touch to this. He hears the cry of his people. His time alone with the Father is broken up because he hears the cry of his people. He sees them straining at the oars. Brothers and sisters, you're not alone straining at the oars. You're not alone with the wind coming against you. Our Lord Jesus who prays for you and intercedes for you. He sees you. He sees you. He cares. And it's the only thing that could interrupt him at three in the morning from talking to the Lord Jesus is the needs of his people. So Jesus comes down the mountain, runs across, and the scriptures really say he talked with them. Here he is coming across. They're afraid. They're scared. And he talks with them. Kindly, calmly, he says to them, Be of good courage. It is I and nobody else. Stop being afraid. Doesn't that sound like what you would say to a child that is afraid? Isn't it what you would say if you were with uh, someone who had just had a scary experience? Doesn't that sound like something we would do? Uh, It's me. I'm here now. Stop being afraid. Oh, this wonderful Jesus. Well, in Nazareth, they thought he was an imposter. Sin kept them from seeing the Savior in front of them. They didn't believe. They didn't bring their sick to him. He didn't do miracles there because of it. 
But those who saw him as Savior King got to see him calm storm. They got to see him walk on water. They got to experience the peace that only Jesus could bring. Had they thought he was an imposter and not the Christ, they would have missed it altogether as well. But the Bible says that they were amazed that, that, that what Christ did here, it was exceedingly beyond measure. Now picture that, beyond measure. Imagine that you're taking some sugar and you're trying to put it in a cup. And you're trying to put it in a cup and then the recipe says uh, two cups. And then a gallon. And then you, so you grow, grow, grow. And before you know it, there's sugar everywhere in the kitchen. It's awful because there's no way to even measure it anymore. That's how wonderful Jesus is. Immeasurable. Immeasurable. Did you ever think that uh, maybe these men needed that experience on the lake? Maybe Jesus in his love knew that his children, these brothers that he loved so much, he called them brothers, friends, just like he calls you um, children, he calls them sheep, he calls them with a shepherd relationship. So Jesus is preparing them for what was ahead. He didn't like having them on the lake. He didn't like to, look, I don't like it when one of my grandkids strikes out. I hate it, as a matter of fact. It's like makes me sick to my stomach. But guess what? They got to strike out. They got to strike out. That's part of life. God forbid that you have some human on this planet who hits the ball too many times. Everything we see in those that have perfect lives, whoever, who never sit on the bench, who never have those experiences, they don't turn out to be great people mostly, do they? See, human beings need to have a little bit of trouble. And so Jesus, he sends the storm, he sees the storm, he comes and he relieves them. Why? Because he knew later those same guys were going to be in jail. Later those same guys were going to be hated by people in the, in, the, in the streets. Later those same guys would need to know that Jesus hears them, he sees them straining at the oars, and that he will come and bring calm. They could hear him in his ears, in their ears saying, it is I, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You and I can do the same. As we interact with the real Jesus, you can take these words of his, a phrase of his. Don't have to memorize the whole uh, Bible, which would be great, but just memorize in your busy life. Just maybe take a phrase with you and, 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 and let it repeat in your heart. Meditate on his word. It is I and nobody else. Don't be afraid. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful experience these brothers and sisters had all those years ago, the patriarchs of the faith, no wonder that we're Christians today. So the question is, what will you experience? What will you experience? Will you experience the Jesus as an imposter? Jesus as uh, fake? Um, will you see Jesus as um, some Jewish guy wandering around rabbis? There were plenty of them then. Will you see him as one who never wrote anything down, who never led an army, never went to college, and that's it? Or will you see him as Christ? Will you experience the miracles that he is ready to do in our hearts and our lives, inside of our families? Well, the other thing that happens is we can have different positions. So here we've got many that just see him as as an imposter, he's not real, um, all of it is fake. Then you've got the ones who see him as real, but they keep him at arm's length. This happens in church an awful lot. Be around religion, be around Jesus, be around hearing about him, but never interact with the real Christ. The other thing that happens is for many of you, you love Christ, you walk with Christ, you read your Bibles, treasure your faith, 
but yet you feel like he's always maybe grumpy Jesus or maybe disappointed Jesus. So you feel like, look, now the more I know him, the more I want to be like him. And yet last week I didn't read the Bible as much as I should. So you assume he's pretty disappointed in me. Ah, I missed an opportunity to witness. Or you hear a preacher say, I did this, I did that. And you'll say, oh, I wish I was a preacher. You know what really happens? I talk to a lot of preachers. So I talk to preachers, and I talk to preachers who preach to thousands and thousands. You know what they say? Oh, if I was really living for Christ, I'd be overseas being a missionary. Then I go overseas, and I've traveled and seen so many missionaries. And I say to them, hey, how's it feel to be a missionary? Well, if I was the real thing, I'd be getting persecuted. Then I'd really be a real Christian. I'd really please the Lord. Then you talk to those that are persecuted, and they say, who am I to be persecuted for Christ? I, he is. Do you see what I'm saying? See, we create an imposter. We create Jesus. We never think he's happy. And it's, it's miserable to be around someone who's never happy with you. You can never quite do enough. The coach that you never satisfied. The school teacher that, A, was not good enough. The parent who was unhappy. I remember meeting this uh, girl, and she had quite a, she'd been to Harvard Law. Quite a, and her parents, she said, were still unhappy with her that she hadn't become a doctor. I'm like, what in the world? But boy, you know that feeling, right? She was still, just 40 years old, still trying to please her parents. And they were unpleasable. Boy, if you create a Jesus like that, it's no wonder you don't walk with him. It's not true of Jesus. Let me explain to you what I mean. Jesus loves you. He wants you to walk with him. Jesus loves you. He wants you to hear his voice. Jesus loves you. He wants you to know his word and share it absolutely. But in the process, he also knows who you are. Uh, as we're raising our, around all the grandkids that God has blessed us with, um, I imagine that in their raising them, I want them to know that I love them. Let's imagine that uh, one of them did something wrong, uh, and I caught them, and uh, they were upset. I say, hey, you're, you're forgiven. It's okay. So they forgave this. They stole, ate a cookie or something rather they shouldn't have, and I say, oh, it's okay. And I tell them, look, it's okay. You're forgiven. No problem. But then uh, a few hours later, I see them again. The other kids are playing, and, and they're still off in a corner crying in the corner. I say, hey, what's up? Why are you crying? Well, remember, I ate the cookie, and you... Oh, no, but remember, I told you. That's cool. Don't worry about it. It's forgiven. Go back. Have fun with the kids. It gets up, goes. Two days pass. I'm walking in the house. I see him in the corner crying again. I say, hey, what's going on? Oh, that cookie I ate two days ago. I'm still upset about it. That's the way we live the Christian life, isn't it? Right? We, we end up uh, creating a Jesus that is unhappy, unsatisfied, and even grumpy with us. Because we ate the cookie. We did what we shouldn't have. We're not doing enough. I just want you to understand. No more. This is why he gives the example of him being our father and us being his child. Picture it. Picture it. What does Jesus say? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So in other words, if I'm an evil grandma, you know, I'm just human, right? I get mad over these things and so on. And yet I wouldn't want a child to be disappointed again and again and again after I forgave him, right? So why would we create a Jesus where he does not feel the same way? He says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions and remembers them no more. How else could I preach or Nate preach or you be even called a Christian if Jesus was not a forgiving Savior? Brothers and sisters, Nazareth was a small town. Small town. Just 400 people. And Jesus Christ was right there. Three times he went there. There had to be sick people in the town. There had to be 
sick spiritually people. There had to be widows. There had to be troubles in that town. And all they needed to do was walk to Jesus. Small place. All they had to do was walk a short distance. All they had to do was go to Jesus. And they didn't. It's footsteps. He's footsteps away. For many of you who don't know Christ, that's where you're at. You were in a church like this. You heard the gospel. You heard how this Jesus is. You saw the Bible. You've listened to Nate. You've listened to the word of God. You've heard it other places. Your parents have told you. Your sisters told you. Your brothers told you. And yet you stand footsteps away from Christ and never get to see the healing that he wants to bring to you and how he wants to change you and use you. You never get to experience it because you're unwilling to take those steps away from Jesus. And then there's those of us that are believers. Maybe we're a couple steps closer to Jesus. And yet, we've prayed a prayer one time. We've done what we're supposed to. We go to church on Sundays. But the real interaction with the real Christ, we've not really experienced. We also need to take another step towards Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know this. He is there. He is ready. He is the one who will come down off the mountain, step into the boat, and bring us calm. It is only up to us to take a step towards Jesus. Make it your goal every day of your life to take one more step closer to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, oh, how we need you. Foolishly, Lord, this world is mostly seen you as an imposter in large part they've not responded to the real savior to the Christ to the anointed one to the Messiah they've not yet experienced what it is to be amazed beyond the ability to be amazed oh Lord might you have mercy on ones here ones online who don't really know you They've not seen the real Christ. They've not seen the biblical Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, may they today say like Peter, you are the Christ. May they like Peter submit their heart to you, beg forgiveness, repent of their sin, and trust that you loved them so much that you died for them. That your death on the cross was not some pendant to wear around the neck only, that your death on the cross was not something just for churches, but that your death on the cross was the absolute display of love for them individually, for each of us individually. To eradicate, to remove the punishment of sin. So some of you need to cry out to him right now on that. You need to repent. You need to turn your life to Christ. Quit playing around. Don't miss out on him. Don't take another week away from Jesus. That'd be silly. Don't do that. Don't try to live this life straining at the oars, the wind blowing, and no help from anyone. No, no, don't live that way. Turn to Jesus right now. Others of you, you know you're a Christian. You know you're committed to him, but you just get so busy, so far from him. You figure he's so disappointed. How can you pray to him? How can you even open the Bible once this week, let alone if you don't do it 10 hours, if you don't do it every day, you just... Not enough. No, no. Maybe you need to study the real Jesus. Maybe you need to come to him and just tell him like a child would his father. 
like a friend would. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to help you. Oh, why don't you talk to him now too and take a step closer to Jesus. Why don't you say, Jesus, I want to know the real Jesus. I want to walk with you, Lord, every day. Help me, Lord Jesus. So wherever you are, take a moment here with Jesus. Just take some time here. Talk to him. Jesus, we're um, very, very, very blessed that you came to us. Like the town of Nazareth, you came to us. Like the people of Nazareth, you came to us. Today, you presented yourself. Last week, you presented yourself. The Bible you left us that sits in our home is screaming out truth about you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that our hearts will take a step towards you with our heart, our soul, our body, our mind, we would love you with all of our hearts. We pray for this supernatural thing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's sing, let's stand and worship together.